Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and I'm joined today by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. How's the week treating you so far, Chief? Bob is living the life right now. That view is fantastic. I can't even take my eyes off of the picturesque view Bob is is living right now. It's it's beautiful weather in Oregon this week. I'm out on the coast visiting my family and uh, just a beautiful day. So why not be outside to record this week's episode of Fire Headlines? Absolutely. Our topic today is road standards and firefighter safety from a story out of the daily record. In Washington State, Kitty Tess County Fire Chief Association has raised their concerns about existing road variance procedures as they relate to accessibility for fire vehicles. For those who aren't familiar, a road variance is an administrative process where someone seeks an exemption or relief from existing road standards. The fire chiefs are seeing variances granted strictly for what they call aesthetic or economic reasons without much consideration for the mitigation of risk. When a variance is proposed, the chiefs association have asked that if the proposal is inside a fire district and outside of the city, that the fire chief for that district be notified to ensure that the variance mitigation meets or exceeds fire code intent prior to approval. Now, to an extent, I can understand not wanting to spend extra dollars on the road if you're working on a development project, but to me, this kind of seems like passing off the problem to be paid out at a later date by someone else with worse consequences when there is an emergency. It just seems like those costs could take the form of potential property damage, higher insurance rates, even loss of life in some cases. It doesn't seem worth the saved dollars to me, but what are your thoughts about this article, Jeff? Well... Uh, first, let me say, I totally agree with that perspective that you're coming from. But when I took a look at this article, I just could not get over the tone and really the the whole framing up of the challenge. So I'm going to zoom out on the actual kind of code piece and just get after some of the problem, which can be a challenge in many municipalities. And it has to do with the teamwork kind of vibe that it put off. I try to read these articles in an objective frame, and I really felt like the journalist was taking an approach to try to make the fire chief uh, look bad, and I wasn't appreciative of that. I get the fact that you got to sell a story, but I think that the way he was quoted and just the overall tone of the article, it left me as I try to look at something objectively with an eyebrow of suspicion. So let me say that first. Um, The next piece that really struck me was the quote by the public works director. And I believe it's so incredibly important for colleagues to treat each other with a whole heck of a lot of respect and, and, you know, and, and the common interest should be the community trying to get to the common goal. And when you have a quote that says at the end of the day, it is fire command that kills firemen, not our roads. They make a decision to send people in those areas. It's just divisive. You know, and from my standpoint, when you're trying to come up 
with common ground in trying to find these solutions that are super difficult. That public works director, there's not a doubt in my mind, there's a ton of pressure on him, a ton of pressure. Get, get it done. We need economic development. We got to get it done. We got to build, right? We have to build. And then there's a ton of pressure on that fire chief to apply these safety constraints and really be the overseer. They got to be on the same page. And I don't believe that airing that in an article is the way to do it. So that's it's really what struck me. And I know that's not the meat of the article, but for me, it was. It was the the lack of of respect, particularly for for the environment, right? And and I, and I, and I don't want to chastise that director. I just I think it could have been handled differently. And I think if handled differently, there'd be a better opportunity for the successful outcome. Because I'm sure that those individuals both want the same thing for the community. So, you know that. That was really, really what struck me, Anana, about this article is, whoa, we need to get we need to get a better team approach here in order to come to the solution that's going to help out the community. I agree completely. That would be the animus that you could detect from reading this article was you know, absolutely palpable. You could cut it with a knife. And for our regular listeners, you know, if you if you don't always go in and, and read, you know, the article. Uh, we highly recommend you click on this one and go in and, and read it uh, from beginning to end because it is unpacking a bit of a story. This isn't about a very recent issue. Like This is an ongoing uh, uh, tension that's occurring between these competing interests in this community. And it's very uncomfortable. I thought I agree with you, Jeff. I read through this and I was really uncomfortable. I want, I'll speak a little bit to the codes and why we need collaboration in our communities. And Jeff, I'm going to want, I'm going to ask you, you know, you are a city manager. You had to manage these kind of tensions and these kind of competing interests. And I'm going to ask you to speak to that in a minute. The International Fire Code, from the International Code Council, which is this body that really adopts these standards of safety for our communities, uh, not haphazard. Like I don't think any, you know, these are st- broad stakeholder interests that come together and adopt these codes at the international level to the national level, down to the local level, as they talk about in the article. That this is done based on a, on an actual risk to the community because of not following these codes puts people and communities at risk and thus that's the the code so i do think we should have a real strong burden to uh ensure that some equal level of of safety is achieved by an exemption meaning it may make sense and in, in a lot of communities it does make sense for the the fire service fire marshals code enforcement folks to engage with developers and i've seen trade-offs made on road width specifically because it's more than just safety for firefighters this is about evac safe evacuation routes uh, for communities for whatever reason they may need to evacuate. But I have seen trade-offs in some environments where residential fire sprinklers maybe was a mandated as a as part of a local code. So now we're going to build homes in the urban environment. They're going to be sprinklered that the the amount of fire equipment that arguably would be needed to protect that house may be reduced and there's been compromises. And I don't know whether that's the right decision or not. I'm just illustrating that that has occurred in various communities. It wasn't an exemption for any other reason, except that safety is being met by a different protocol. 
this article alludes to, you know, and I don't know what the truth is in this community. And I feel bad for these residents in this community because I feel like they're stuck in the middle of a really nasty tension. Uh, but the assertion in the article is it's being done purely for economic reasons or for aesthetic reasons. I'd like to hope that's not the case. I and mean, we all do want, you know, pretty roads and great sidewalks. Like that is an important part of the development of a community. And, the, and it is a fact that generally uh, compliance with these codes either increases costs or reduces opportunity for revenue and developments because you could you know based on whatever the standards are for that community you can only fit so many houses in uh, so many acres of land that you have to develop and oftentimes developers want to develop maximize the utility they get from their development and if you have to have more space between houses and and wider roads that of course eats away at property that you otherwise could develop and sell so it those the interests are not lost on me and when discussing these kinds of issues from a collaborative perspective, like getting the interests on the table is important. Developers want to be able to develop. Community development leaders in the city or county, that is their job, right? Their job, to Jeff's point, is to ensure there's adequate development throughout a community. We have low income housing issues. We have housing affordability, housing availability, a lot of pressure across communities to develop and build. And frankly, the way most of the tax uh, structures are in our, these communities where they're legislated to only go up so much, like the cost of doing business well exceeds what the tax revenue is. So if communities aren't growing with additional uh, housing developments for, for those that are, that are dependent on property tax, they're not, they can't actually sustain as a government. So it's a very complex issue. Economic development folks have an interest to grow and to develop, and the fire safety folks have an interest in fire safety. I do wish the article would have highlighted more about the safety of the community. It seemed to be a very targeted and that this, because this is animus, it seems to be very obvious to me. This is a, a, an argument between the fire service and this and the roads and public works department. Uh, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's, you know, you're going to try to kill firefighters and sort of getting into this extreme rhetoric, which isn't really healthy in this debate. Let me punt it back to you, Jeff, for a second, because you've navigated these competing interests as a city manager. Uh, how do you approach an area conflict like this, where you've got, you know, roads trying to achieve one goal, economic development, another goal, and fire safety, another goal? What are your thoughts just broadly? Well, it's, it's interesting that this article is, is a point of discussion today. I recently was, was giving feedback about accountability, and I referred to this type of accountability as Bugs Bunny accountability. And for those of us that have watched Looney Tunes growing up, when blame was being assessed by one of the characters, fingers went every which way but loose. And it was all about shifting accountability away. When you focus on blame, I think that that's where things just go awry. Let's prevent the problem from resulting in devastation or catastrophic results on the first place. And it comes back to teamwork. How I navigated it, I was navigating in the city manager role. And you know, I have to give this point. I served in the city manager role. There's many, many, many well-seasoned city managers out there. I was sitting in a role during crisis for the city of North Las Vegas. And I believe that created an environment that was outstanding for teamwork. And for us facing the crisis that we did, which was the worst financial crisis in the city's history, 
one of the worst municipal financial issues in the state in its history. It was about teamwork. It was about sacrifice. It was about working together. And frankly, it was what this article wasn't. And it was keeping dirty laundry in the laundry room. We're going to disagree. We are going to disagree. But it is not good practice. You see this in sports all the time. You don't go out and air it in a, in a public forum. So that was the that was the theme, Bob. And we had real problems. Okay, let's have healthy discourse, disagreement, good old fashioned, you're right, I'm wrong, okay. But then after we have that dialogue, after we point out those positions that maybe neither one of us may have thought about, whatever the situation may be, we're gonna be united and we're gonna put on a solidarity front for the community so they can feel safe so they can feel like we're making smart decisions and we are a team. And I think that that's where it starts. I think that, you know, these, again, these are, these are dicey, thorny situations that public works director is under tremendous pressure that the mayor, the council, there's all these pressures that people are feeling, but it's incumbent upon those leaders to pull together, to galvanize, to be as one as they move through a, a, a difficult challenge like that. So that's how I would approach it. Easier said than done. Now, there's not a magic sauce. But to me, if I'm the county administrator, city manager in that area, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try some different avenues on how to pull the team together so we can, we can avoid this ongoing feud. Uh, so to me, it's all about teamwork. And it goes back to what you said, Bob. That's what collaboration is. It's teamwork. And uh, you got to do it early and often, and it's got to be it's got to be continuing. And yeah, it just doesn't feel like there's um, there's a lot of that at this point. And now, if I could for a second, I want to point out to a uniqueness to this environment because I, I actually lived in an environment very similar to what these fire chief colleagues are experiencing, and that's the uniqueness that a fire district has when, when it's overlapped or overlaps a county governance and in which case land use development is not something the fire district is typically part of other than the enforcement of fire code and what I gleaned out of this article is some uniqueness because it sounded like there was a fire marshal for the county who was part of the process for granting variances and and it seems as as the challenge is there's a disconnect even between that fire marshal and the fire marshals of these fire districts. So districts are their own governance board. So they have they typically have elected board of directors who provide the fire protection for an area of the community. So a household would be in a fire protection district, but also in the county. So the land use decisions about how that county operates is made at the county governance, which is completely divorced from the fire district's decisions, which is why these fire district chiefs are so upset is they're not being, you know, on one hand, not being notified that these exemptions have even existed or feel like from their perspective, they're not being consulted. And I tend to agree that that their position is correct because what I read in the article was we use the fire marshal for the county as a proxy for all things fire service going to speak for the fire service this one individual that one individual doesn't 
deemed to have been placed or, or supported in this case by the fire districts. And that's why the chief's association uh, needed to step forward and say, you know, we've, we've got different issues that need to be addressed from a fire district perspective as it relates to one protecting the community, which is their responsibility when it comes to a fire, the fire district's responsibility to, to protect the community from a fire uh, and to protect the firefighters as well. So that, that's part of where there's a little bit of a disconnect in this particular governance model. You know, in, in, my, in my sense, his effort like this is, has really gone unnoticed, which is why it's turned into a public media show. I think it definitely goes back to kind of the basics of in government, why are you there? At, at its very most fundamental level, what is the purpose of government and why are the people in government there? And if there isn't a basic agreement about serving the public, because, I mean, there are all kinds of studies and I think that, you know, many leadership folks focus on the private sector and how like effective organizations are run. The government is an organization that theoretically is supposed to work for the people. The people are the ones who are paying your bills. And so when we see pieces like this, that perhaps it was inadvertent, perhaps it was intentional that they're highlighting essentially dysfunction, I know from a voter perspective, it makes me not want to reelect the folks who are pointing fingers and not getting stuff done, especially when it's something relating to safety. I mean, it certainly doesn't inspire confidence on my end. So I'm not sure what the intent was ultimately, but when something is so upsetting, I don't know, I guess it's highlighting a problem that needs to be addressed. I agree with you, Anand. I think your, I think your perspective on that is incredibly valuable, and I think you speak for you know, most, if not all, the, the voters in a community like this is what our expectation is. And we expect our government leaders to get along and to work well and, to, you know, leverage their expertise in the best interests of the community. That seems to have fallen apart here. And, and I slightly tongue in cheek, you know, I'm humored towards the conclusion of the article. It just sort of points out the Board of County Commissioners just chose not to weigh in, at least to these journalists. In fairness to them, they recognize that this fight probably didn't need to be in the news because they weren't weren't necessarily going to be successful. But I like to hope that these board of commissioners are weighing in on this issue and that they are uh, working really in the best interest of the community to get it resolved. Absolutely. It seems like it's kind of a multi-layered issue, so they might have their work cut out from them. <laughs> That's a thorny one. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to ask any questions about our podcast, you can contact us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. If you have a question, if you have insights, we would love to hear from you. Bob, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next week for more Fire Headlines. 